welcome to Retell Me, a podcast where we explore fairy tales and why we think they could save the world. We wouldn't be who we are without our favorite tales, right, Amanda? Um, Absolutely. And um, a lot of our conversations, I think, around fairy tales and just folklore and fantasy and writing and deconstruction kind of came out of, I would think, someone's obsession with a particular um, Disney movie, maybe. That would be me. That would be me (laughs) and that would be Moana. uh, I'll just tell you right now, this podcast is a Lin-Manuel Miranda Stan account. Absolutely. Um, 100%. 100%. Um, but no, I, yeah, I think Moana was the first time, I mean, A, I watched that movie at least a hundred times. Um, when and not oldest. just because your children were putting it on. Mostly, but. 75% of the time it was because my oldest, who was three I think when it came out two or three it was his favorite movie and then I started watching it by myself and it was the first time that I was not just taking a fairy tale like story like Moana and just taking it at face value and I was asking questions you know why is Maui doing what he's doing why is Tafiti doing what she's doing what about Moana what about her grandmother like and I just started examining it from a completely different perspective and and I'm hooked right so since then I'm and that was kind of the moment that in some of the conversations that I think started out as Lin-Manuel Miranda stan conversations and then you kind of develop it kind of developed into like Anna I'm I'm kind of obsessed with this like I'm I'm asking questions about this da, 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 da. you kind of did the textual equivalent of looking at me one day and we're like wait a minute is this what you do with all these stories like Absolutely. you love fairy tales is this what is this what you do all the time and I was kind of like welcome <laughs> welcome to the forest sit down we talk, Anna, you and I talk a lot about the forest and yes. we, um, I feel like we should tell our listeners <laughs> that when we talk about the forest, we're usually talking about, um, writing or talking about fairy tales. We're talking the realm about of story, the realm of story. And we often say to each other, the forest is loud. Um, and we say that to each other when a story that we're writing will not shut up mm-hmm. when it crams and creeps its way into our daily life and needs to be heard um when we see coincidences pop Mm -hmm. up when you know (laughs) there was a time where we were talking so much about Peter Pan and then I went for a walk one day with my kids and we met one of the neighborhood dogs and it was this big ginormous beastie dog wearing like a camo vest and we said what's your dog's name and the owner said oh her name is Tinkerbell (laughs) (laughs) and I thought oh the forest is loud the forest is loud so um when you hear Anna and I say that that's what we mean yeah and I feel like Anna there's so many stories that you and I just keep returning back to over and over we're not always returning to the same 100 stories we're returning to the same five or six Mm -hmm. in our Mm -hmm. conversations I know lately anyway um, you know, one of them is Moana. Mm-hmm. One of them is um, Circe by Madeline Miller. Absolutely. Um, you and the I concept talk- of, of kind of witches in general, I feel like you and I have um, really been digging into, you know, we've kind of, and we've approached it from a lot of different avenues. Like you went on a whole historical jag looking for witch ancestresses uh, in your life. And um, I've just kind of started found myself quietly collecting witch tales and you mentioned you were reading Cersei and I kind of was like would you like a couple other book recommendations and I said yes Anna um well what I think is fascinating so I you and I both grew up in I'll call this for me like an evangelical Christian yeah I would as well and 
you know so and I grew up with this very like Americanized Halloween centric like witches yep. are scary witches are spooky witches are evil but also witchcraft yes. is evil and demonic and yep. cult and and so to be associated with witchcraft was very much against the rules yeah very um, much so not done capital letters yes not done and it's as I've been ex- kind of exploring the background like the historical context around witchcraft that and and correct me if I'm wrong because I still feel like I'm learning about these things that witches were not what we imagine them to be pointy hats warts ugly like witches were really the like wise women they were wise women they were single women herbalists herbalists midwives yeah um doing work doing medical work doing healing work doing um plant-based work that when Christianity would move into an area, those were the women who were not valued because they weren't married. They weren't landowners. They weren't property owners. Um, they didn't have children sometimes. Um, and, and what they were doing was not understood. And so they were labeled as evil and as witches. Well, and also they were usually, sorry, not to interrupt, but they were usually the ones who were tending the women let's be honest, because so much of what was considered like the, you know, the ruling tradition or whatever it was at the time was very white male centric. And so anything that was seen as, you know, not understood and nobody bothered, nobody wanted to understand, you know, menstruation, childbirth, that was all to be swept under the rug, kept behind closed doors. And so the women who were the ones tending to all these things were very much victimized and demonized and scapegoated is the thing. They needed a fall guy and it was the unmarried woman who knew which herbs to gather to give your wife when, you know, whatever ailment it was that the white male doctor was, I could go on and on and on, but yes, usually the ones tending the women as well. I would add to that list. So, so then you see that there's this whole patriarchal power structure involved in anything domestic, mm-hmm. anything feminine, anything, you know, re- like you said, related to menstruation, childbirth, um, child rearing. And guess and- what falls within all of those spheres? Fairy tales and folklore, right? Like it's very much considered a female practice and sphere. Um, Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm, yeah, they're the ones who are famous for publishing Grimm's, but who were their sources? Women. It was all women, yeah. But they, quote unquote, I'm very, very actively and vigorously using air quotes here, cleaned them up and put, they're the ones that put morals on them. I love the picture of the women by the hearth or, you know, outside under the stars telling the wild versions of these tales and Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm are the ones who are like, well, little Red Riding Hood needs to learn a lesson. So we're going to put a moral on this story so that it's, you know, palatable. Um, we'll talk about all of that later. That's fascinating to me. Like, and, and in doing so, took the power out of the story. Exactly. Took the potency out of it mm-hmm. and made it innocuous mm-hmm. and uh, fashionable and marketable. And have we said palatable already? maybe <laughs> I don't know um yeah you know and and I I wish like crazy I wonder going back to Lin-Manuel Miranda of course as we will often do but that that scene where Eliza burns her correspondence and removes herself from that story I was sobbing like a baby when I had the privilege of seeing that um product it wasn't the original cast but it was a phenomenal cast and of seeing Hamilton on stage I knew that scene was going to be powerful but it was even more powerful than I imagined because it's such a that was sometimes the only power women had was to erase themselves. And so how many women did that throughout history? How many women's recipes have we lost? How many women's correspondence? How many women's grimoires 
and you know wisdom books have been burned by men or by the women themselves sometimes to protect themselves sometimes to protect their daughters their mothers their sisters their aunts whatever but you know there's different reasons for burning yes probably women did some of that themselves but how much of that has been lost is just galling to me and so I cried like a baby during that scene it's so interesting to hear you talk about that because I feel like that's something that's been showing up in my writing a lot lately is the issue of silence yes and I think for so long I imagined silence to be a violence yes um something that someone forces you to be silent someone takes away your voice um you know we have the little mermaid where she loses her voice I don't even know if that's part of the original story but it's part of the Disney story um Anna's nodding so I think it is, it is <laughs> I wasn't sure if I was chiming in or saving that for the water episode but no, yes okay. no I don't we have a whole episode about silence planned I feel like we might think because we it's been recurring for us one of the books that we bonded over um is ghost in the throat was an entirely transcendent reading experience for me um it is and amanda you pronounce her name better than i do can you please i believe it is pronounced dirin negrifa beautiful we will put a link to this book because i think everyone needs to read it but um I immediately sent it to you <laughs> um, because it's a it's it's a work about a new mother who is a writer and poet and translator herself, fixated almost on an obscure poem that is the story of a woman who is kind of removed from the story. And so she goes on this journey to understand and struggle with this poem and why it is so fixed in her being. And as part of that, learns lessons, um, learns lessons, learns more about herself and about motherhood and about voice and silence and um, ultimately translates this poem into English um, and the whole journey of how she learns about this poem and what she doesn't find because it's lost or erased or was destroyed to protect someone. It just, the book just blows my mind. And so I feel like that book plus the scene in Hamilton have really sparked a lot of conversations that you and I have been having. I'm just like, okay, I need more books of women who are re trying to discover these narratives and turn the frustration and devastation of not finding those answers into something so profound. But this book, um, we've been, we've used that image of ghost in the throat um, to talk a lot about silence and erasure recently. Absolutely. And I feel like it's also, I'm also starting to see silence as something that you can choose for yourself and silence being an active agency. And yes. so how does that play out? Where do we see that show up in stories? What does it mean to choose silence for yourself around something? Um, yeah, like, like you mentioned earlier, you know, women burning their grimoires or their you know, some aspect of themselves, Eliza removing herself from the narrative. When is that an act of power and an act of agency and something that should be celebrated? And when is silence something that should not be celebrated? And when is it someone being marginalized or othered or um, punished? So I, I want to talk about silence with you a lot. I want to talk about witches. Yes. I want to talk about water. We'll talk about the forest because that's where we seem to be living. Anna, I have been calling you my forest witch for a <laughs> while now. You are the one who lives at the edge of the forest in a little hut and is like, I mind going? my own business. I will answer your questions if you come and ask them of me, but I'm not going to force my knowledge on anyone. But people have been coming and asking recently. So that's been lovely. Um, you asking me questions, Amanda, has really helped me see that this isn't just an idle thing for me. Like my true immersion in this realm of folklore and story has really, has been a lifelong identity, maybe even, we'll see, question mark. Like it, 
is a fundamental part of who I am. And um, I, I don't think I ever tried to get away from it, but even if I like even kind of idly tried to go over here and try to do something new, it finds its way into whatever I seem to be doing. And so within the pandemic, I uh, was working for a software company as a customer success manager and just found myself really burnt out and exhausted. And so went to kind of back, went back to that wellspring of like, where is it that I find fulfillment? Where is it that I would like to see myself, you know, staying and having conversations? And that's when I found the, uh, the, the, um, Fairy tale analysis certificate through Pacifica. And so I was like, okay, here's a bunch of like, wait, there's other people like me, first of all. Second of all, I can get a piece of paper that says that I studied this thing. Cool. I'm in. So I went and found this community of people who were as obsessed with these concepts as I was. Um, and it only deepened the conversations you and I were having, and it deepened my writing, and it helped me find my way back to like, okay, these quote unquote idle fairy tale poems and retellings I've been working through all my life weren't just aren't just like snippets of writing, not to belittle what I was producing before, but like this is something profound that I'm struggling with and working through, and more than that, it's an avenue for some of these more difficult adult conversations that I'm having now. Um, this is a way for me to process all of that. And the deeper I've headed into this rabbit hole and the deeper into the forest I've gone, just the more fulfillment and the more, the more profound the experience, I think. Um, and so I really want to share that. And I want to provide an avenue for other people to ask those questions and wrestle with those concepts and join us in the forest. Like it's, it's kind of a cool place. I'm not going to let like, yeah, sometimes it's dark and scary, but like, and sometimes it can be damn loud, but you know, the forest is kind of a cool place to be, yo. <laughs> I think we also have an entire episode planned around the forest. We do. In, we in general, like yeah. why, why do fairy tales always take place in forest or on the yes. edge of forest or why are the forests forbidden? Um, there's, there's reasons, capital R reasons for capital this. Capital R, yes. And, and I'm excited to explore them with you because you have some of these answers. I feel like I'm good well. at asking some <laughs> of these questions that I'm starting to notice like, ooh, you know, we keep, you know, okay, we have Little Mermaid and Luca. What's that about? Like, why do we- I have just, I, it was like the best day of my life when you texted me and you were like, Anna, mermaids. <laughs> and I was like, welcome I've been waiting <laughs> Anna this is my third Luca watching in the last week and I have mermaid questions <laughs> I have a whole stack of answers for you um my answers will always come with book recommendations sorry not sorry um, well yeah. and that's part of what this podcast is going to be about too we're going to be recommending Resources. some of our yeah. favorite books our favorites um fairy tales our favorite um, movies songs, movies songs children's all kinds books, of media children's shows um we devour fairy tales in all forms and so we're here to give you some of our favorite tarot decks i still don't have a tarot deck i will fix this <laughs> I'm not opposed. I just haven't <laughs> pulled the trigger. I also feel like we absolutely need to address the fact that we love Madeline Lingle and oh, yeah. a wrinkle in time, especially is a story that you and I keep coming back to. Um, it's one that I read for the first time when I don't know, third grade, fourth yeah, grade. Yeah, I, I would of... say around the same time for me, somewhere in there. Cause I distinctly remember I did like a book report on the third book in the series in like fourth or fifth grade. So yeah, the first okay. book had to have been around that time for me as well. Mm -hmm. Hugely, hugely um influential, foundational, impactful on little baby Anna. Still, I mean, still is. Every time I read it, I get something. It's an entirely different book when you read it as an adult. Absolutely. Even if, uh, even if you've read it as a kid, I highly recommend reading it again and again and again and again and again. Um, all of Madeline Lingle for that matter. Um, mm -hmm. I remember when I got married, uh, me being me, I immediately was like, okay, I'm engaged. I need to find a book on marriage or something. And 
couldn't really find anything that resonated or like that was working or that felt like, I think I was also starting to, you know, wrestle with institutions and deconstructing the archetypes of the religion I was raised in and blah, 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 blah. So I didn't quite know which lens to find a book under. And somehow within that, I read, um, a live coal in the sea by Madeline Lingle and literally finished that book and was like, I'm good. I read the book on marriage. I needed to read. Um, story does that fiction does that. Um, stories do that. And I think that's another reason I really wanted to embark on this project is that like, I think so many people are seeking and they're looking in the wrong places because they think that, you know, whether they're adults and trying to be serious or like engage with, you know, the, the, um, discourse that's taking place. Like they, in order to do that and be taken seriously, they need to look in places X, Y, and Z. They could be finding their answers in other places, in the forest, in the water, in story, in, you know, these different avenues. And that's kind of, I've been so changed by some of these encounters I've been having that I would really, really like to help people have those encounters too, because I'm not finding what I need in the history books in the fact, like too many voices are missing. There's too many holes. And sometimes um, what we need is right in front of us. And sometimes going back to what, just to look at something that we thought we knew from a different lens is what we need to do in order to move forward. And that's been a lot of the conversations you and I have been having. I have nothing to add to that. Madeline Langle for the win. For the win. <laughs> and Ursula Le Guin. We've talked a lot about Ursula Le Guin as well. Um, Can I confess something to you? Yeah, absolutely. I've never read Ursula Le Guin. That is totally acceptable. You've listened to me babble about Ursula Le Guin quite a bit. I have. And there's a lot of Ursula Le Guin on my very long Goodreads to be read list. Um. I've been a really heavy library um, audiobook and heavy library ebook um, consumer in the pandemic. And the ones that I want to read have not been available to me yet. So I've just put it off. Um, for anyone who is really, really loving Madeline Miller and Cersei, especially, and doesn't really know where to look. Um, I always recommend Lavinia by Ursula Le Guin because she takes a female character in the Aeneid who never speaks in the original um, and gives her an entire voice and story. And it's absolutely magical. And I would argue that a lot of the amazing work that is being done by authors today has its roots and its foundations and its rage. Um, I'm reading one right now. It's a, an advanced reader copy which we in the business call ARCs um, by Sarah Gailey about returning to a childhood home, a daughter returning to a childhood home where her father buried bodies because he was a serial killer. And now her mother is dying and she has gone home to essentially see her mother through hospice and who's, her mother is still living in this house. Um, and and get the house ready to finally sell and I it mm, uh there's there's a lot there so I I you know there's a lot being done about grief there's a lot being done about anger there's a lot I feel like a lot of authors that are around our age are currently writing deconstructing the narratives we were told and um there are so many books about anger specifically about silence about um and I think you know a lot of this groundwork wouldn't be there without people like Ursula Le Guin and Margaret Atwood you know who did Handmaid's Tale and one of the things Margaret Atwood said when she did Handmaid's Tale was that she didn't make anything up she only wrote things into that book that had actually happened somewhere because she didn't want anyone to point to something and be, a, and be able to explain it away as fiction. And I think 
that, you know, there were, there was a generation of authors that did that. And now our generation is kind of returning to like, okay, I'm going to now use quote unquote fiction and these kind of supernatural, fantastical, magical realist from, you know, certain, um, from certain parts of the world, uh, fantastical folkloric bases to examine some shit that maybe isn't being talked about. Um, and all of the authors that you have mentioned are, are leading that charge. Um, I, Sarah Gailey is as well. Um, they published a book called The Echo Wife about uh, a, a woman who is a scientist whose husband clones her and then goes to live with, uh, divorces her for the clone essentially and then shows up on her doorstep needing help. Uh, it's just like, all of it's just harrowing. And I just, I love that horror is such, is something that is being used to question some of these things. I've become very fascinated by it. It's crept its way into my own work as well, which has been really cool uh, to see. But also uh, Sarah Gailey has definitely upped the ante with this latest one. It's terrifying. <laughs> I just was like, oh, Okay, we're doing that. Cool. I love that you're delving deeper into these these woods of horror. Um, I've, I'm going to be following close behind in the <laughs> trail. Um, I'm also curious because this isn't something that you and I have talked about explicitly. Is the horror genre and maybe body horror specifically mm. also going into the realm of chronic illness? How much time do we have on this episode again? Um, <laughs> yes, is the short answer. Okay. And that actually, I think, is where my journey down this side trail started. Um, I, as someone with a chronic illness, with chronic pain, whose body has betrayed them, who was raised in the sort of, um, oh, shoot, what is the, what's the term, Amanda, for in the, in evangelical circles, when you're told that if you live a righteous life and you do everything right, um, prosperity gospel. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, raised on this prosperity gospel, like utterly shattered and betrayed by that because, you know, now you're telling me that I am somehow evil and sinful because I'm living this kind of life with this kind of condition. And also like, there's, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and that you haven't prayed hard enough. You're you right. haven't believed hard enough. You haven't. It's my this, fault. I'm not this, healed by now. Exactly. In some way. That, yeah, exactly. The, the, the teachings that you and I received as children as were children. that if we are chronically ill, if we are disabled, if we are experiencing everything happens for a reason that everything happens for a reason and that um depression anxiety those aren't real those are spiritual afflictions that if you pray hard enough or believe hard enough that you can be rescued from and of course now we know (laughs) what toxic and devastating devastating harmful Yes. What, how those teachings have perpetuated a lot of really harmful things and, and, and that it has harmed us specifically. And Mm -hmm. that we are the battleground for those things being unlearned. And so is our writing. Yes. And our um, other forms of art. Yeah. So as someone who started wrestling with all of that, and as well, pain is a very difficult thing to convey. We do not have words. We do not have a language around pain. It's something that's uniquely experienced by every single person. And it's not something that is um, expressed and talked about openly enough to have any kind of common ground or way of understanding. There is no universal language of pain. We don't, and we don't care to develop one. We being those in positions of power, nobody cares to really turn an eye toward um, solving this or ameliorating it or helping in any way, really. And so I turned to what I always turned to. I turned to 
to literature, to story, to, and to fairy tales, I'll be quite frank, like those were the images that really, when I was trying to describe what I was experiencing, kept presenting themselves to me. I remember the Little Mermaid and how she felt as though she was walking on knives when she walked on land. Um, image there there are fairy tales of people slowly turning to stone from the feet up well when I wake up in the morning and, and it's winter and my feet are numb that's what I think of so things like that and then like stories of bodies betraying their um not owners but they're you know people's who people whose bodies are betraying them in some way I really strongly resonated with the movie Alien like something growing inside you and bursting forth like it's and so I really got fascinated with body horror and definitely kind of went down that rabbit hole and started realizing more and more the authors I was drawn to have chronic illnesses Sarah Gailey is chronically ill they have chronic pain they have um chronic health conditions the people whose whose work I was drawn to as resonating with these things, we're wrestling with them because they're in the same boat. They don't have this language. So they're creating their own fucking language. Pardon my French. Sorry, mom. Um, they're creating their own language for these things. They're creating their own stories. And so sometimes actually, quite frankly, when I had certain friends ask, um, what is it like? What, what do you experience daily? I didn't have a pamphlet to hand them. I handed them either uh, Molly and Macaulay Brown's uh, book of essays, Places I've Taken My Body. Um, that book blew the lid off of everything I thought I knew about expressing myself. There's an amazing book of essays and I, and forgive me, Amanda, I'll have to put the author's name in the, the show notes. Cause I do not remember her name, but it's pain. Women takes your keys. Um, and so, but those were both poets and women who were having to create a, a different way of looking at pain and expressing it. And then I pointed to fiction. There was actually a young adult author um, the, who wrote The Bone Houses. I'm totally blanking on her name, Emily. I feel horrible. Um, it was the first time that I saw a character in a fantasy novel with a chronic pain condition where it was just incidental. It just was part of the character. It wasn't a main plot point. It wasn't something they were trying to fix. It wasn't a magical affliction that was cured by the end of the book. And only then were they able to go on and seek fulfillment. It was just a part of this character. They had to have extra rest. They had to have an herbal tea and stay warm. It was, and I, I actually tweeted about it. I was so impressed by this, this person, this um representation and she tweeted back to me uh, which makes me feel even more horrible that I can't remember her last name at the moment because fiber fog but um, she tweeted back to me and said I was really tired of not seeing myself in the fiction that I loved so I created um, this character um, so yeah that is absolutely how I came to body horror well and I think too just as you were talking I'm realizing there are so many authors writing themselves into stories that maybe even you and I as straight cis women aren't mm -hmm. aren't immediately connecting to but like the the queer yeah. authors who are yes. writing queer fantasy or even just queer characters who don't have a romance like that yes. it's not like you said it's not um, a central part of their character it just is and I think yeah, I think so many of us, maybe who are our age or around our age, um, who have just gotten to this point where we've realized, look at all of our favorite stories, but also look at the way that they've failed us. And so we're going to do better. What voices are missing? Exactly. exactly. Um, her name is Emily Lloyd-Jones. <laughs> the Hi, Bone Emily. Houses by Emily Lloyd-Jones uh, was absolutely revolutionary for me after my diagnosis. I found myself more healed by the fiction I was reading than any of the, because the first thing, you know, that I do is I go out and I'm like, okay, I need a book on fibromyalgia. Okay. They're all written by white men who don't have the condition. What's that going to do for me? Like, 
Um, so I, I, I did manage to find a, a wonderful book written by a, a woman who was a physician who actually had the condition herself. And that was by far the most helpful, like, um, nonfiction book I had everything else was finding myself in fiction through poetry. There's a lot of poets who are wrestling with, um, being disabled, being semi-abled, um, which is how I choose to refer to myself. I do not always require mobility aids. I do sometimes when I'm in the middle of a flare. Um, I take medication every day, three times a day. I have to, you know, be very careful and always do the math of what I can do in a particular day in order to not have rippling effects, you know, for weeks sometimes. Um, and so I, I refer to myself as semi-abled. That's the, the terminology that feels right to me. Um, but a lot of days I use a cane just to keep myself stable to, and, you know, quite frankly, to, sim to signal to other people sometimes, like I need a little more time. I need a little more, you know, room. I need a little more, um, uh, consideration maybe sometimes. Um, and some people are, are better at fitting those than other people, I will say. But um, the, more, the more we see these voices in fiction and in story, and the more that I welcome every single one of these voices who is returning to these stories and wrestling with them. Every single time I hear about a new retelling or a new reworking, there's a whole young adult um, reworking there's a whole young adult like series of different authors of different backgrounds who are revisiting classic books like uh Bethany Morrow just uh released a Little Women retelling where all of the sisters are African-American there's a uh, I think there's like a Treasure Island one from an author of I believe it is an Asian background I'm not going to even try to remember which one because I'll probably get it wrong and I don't want to do that. But those are just examples, this whole series and they have several more planned out. There's like a Three Musketeers retelling that it's amazing. There's all of these reworkings that are happening from these, these marginalized voices and I love it. I am 100% here. I'm so happy to see that um, Madeline Miller Searcy is kicking the door down for other women to then come in and be like, okay, she retold the story of the witch from a Greek myth. I want to tell the story of a witch from the Norse myths. Cool, that kicked down another door. And now we have uh, a retelling coming out this year that's um, a retelling of the witch's story from one of the Indian epics. And I'm just thrilled to see these coming out. Um, yeah, give me more, give me, I want all of them. I will read all of them, I will buy all of them, I will recommend all of them, give them to me right now. I want them. I co-sign. <laughs> Yes, because I make you read all of them. Yes, <laughs> too. Yeah, make you. I make you read them, Amanda, because you're so unwilling. So unwilling. So in every episode, Anna, you and I are going to talk about some of the books and media and stories that we have been enjoying over this the last. Is just an elaborate way to let me talk about books more. Exactly. And so, um, yeah, let's start. Let's just chat for a few minutes about some of the stories that we've been enjoying over the last few weeks and maybe how some of these stories are playing out in your own work as a writer. Um, you know, are there stories that you're kind of circling or revisiting um, and maybe playing with the retelling? Um, yes. So as I already mentioned a little bit ago, if it made it in because I didn't babble too much, I am reading Sarah Gailey's upcoming oh that's another thing I should probably mention um I still maintain a lot of my connections from my time as a bookseller so I do still receive books um in advance and review them on uh, my Goodreads page so I'm currently reading Sarah Gailey's forthcoming um Just Like Home which is that horror novel about the uh potentially haunted house of the um it's definitely haunted for the record. The um, serial killer and his daughter returning to deal with that. So I'm reading that one. Um, I'm actually kind of bouncing around between books at the moment because my that's what my brain is kind of needing. So I'm working through that as well as another forthcoming book, um, the new Sylvia Moreno Garcia, which is the doctor, the, excuse me, the daughter of Dr. Moreau, which is a reworking of the Dr. Moreau story and is but centers uh, the daughter, which is super, super good. 
Um, I will read anything that Silvia Moreno Garcia publishes. She is absolutely fantastic. Please go check her out if you have not. Poetry wise, I am still definitely digesting Brute um, by, I just realized I did not look up the proper pronunciation of her name. So I'm gonna let, uh, I'm gonna let the show notes do that work for me, but um, absolutely incredible, devastating book. I bought it for my birthday for myself last month and I have still not gotten over it. And that is a very good thing. Definitely uh, wrestles with some of the stories we've been told all our lives, I would say. Um, I find that where it's showing up in my work, I've been doing a lot more of my sort of mixed media art of late than I have been doing my poetry. Um, I just took an amazing class through Hugo House about writing the fairy tale poem um, from Leonora Simonovis. And it was a wonderful, wonderful generative workshop. And I got a lot out of doing that work. Um, I wrote a poem from the point of view of Cinderella's glass slippers which was very fun to do. Um, but I also wrote a book, a, a book, no, 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 no. I wrote a poem about my own beginning, which was really devastating to write, but was um, really, really vital to me to write. So um, I'm definitely seeing kind of all of these fairy tale discussions that we've been having showing up in my art as well, though. I just did, um, a piece that I might link to in the show notes if I feel brave, we'll see that links, looks forward to our next uh, episode on water. I'm doing, I'm doing a lot with uh, some sort of siren water mythology in my art right now, I would say. Um, yeah, what about you? What are you reading? I am reading a few things right now. I am rereading Neil Gaiman's Ocean at the End of the Lane. I read that book when it first came out and I remember that I loved it, but I couldn't remember what it was about. So I'm rereading that now. I'm almost done. Big fave, huge fave. Um, I also, in the middle of the night, a few nights ago when I couldn't sleep, I picked up Charlotte McConaughey's Migrations. Um, I am really big into writing about my own climate anxiety and what it's like to raise children in particular um, in a world that is dying. And so I am um, i don't know very much about this story. I'm only about a third of the way through it, um, but I know that it has kind of a, a, an apocalyptic take on um, birds in particular. So I'm really, really excited for this one. Um, no spoilers, Anna, don't say anything. Anna's great. She's, she, she'll never give you spoilers. if you don't I'm very to. carefully staying muted right now, but I'm flailing in the background. I love Charlotte McConaughey and I will, she has now become one of my, I've uh, referred to them as auto buy authors. Like it doesn't matter what I'll, I'll pre-order it. Like they announced their book. I pre-order it. And um, I didn't know you could do cli-fi with, a, you know, any kind of beauty, really, um, which is a little bit of my own kind of failing in terms of what I was picking out to read because I was experiencing the end of the world and I didn't necessarily want to go read about it. That didn't feel particularly escapist to me. Um, Charlotte McConaughey changed my mind on that. Excellent. Um, cli-fi being climate fiction, right? Thank you. Yes. Um, and then unrelated to, um, fairy tales or anything like that, but I feel like is related to the conversation you and I have had today. I'm reading a book called the wisdom of your body by, um, Hillary McBride. Um, and she is a therapist and psychologist, I believe in Canada. And it's a book about, it's a nonfiction book about embodiment. And I'm very excited to dig into again just picked that one up in terms of poetry um I've been reading a lot of poetry lately I just finished Life on Mars by Tracy K Smith Mwah, fantastic um Electric Arches by Eve Ewing amazing um and then I think my my favorite um of of my 
my poetry books of late is the octopus museum by Brenda Shaughnessy. Um, and I love the, um, kind of the sci-fi that all three of them did in that book, Eve Ewing, maybe less so, um, but definitely very experimental, um, some hybrid works, just really fresh ideas, really fresh topics for poems in my mind. Um, I, I doubt that maybe they were the first ones to do these things. I don't know exactly, but um, I, they, they just felt really fresh and exciting. Um, did all three of those come out of recommendations from your Twitter call for yes they did specific yes I love yes. that I asked Twitter recently for um, some of their favorite speculative poets um, and poets who were um, specifically looking at revisionist storytelling revisionist folklore um, fairy tales um, science fiction, that kind of thing. And all three of those were, were the common recommendations that I was given. I love that. I totally co-sign Octopus Museum too. Ugh. I bought that at the same time yeah. that I bought Brute. And I think I, I'm trying to remember now if I read them in the same day, but I just, <laughs> I think I texted you weeping. I'm not really sure. I think I tweeted Eve Ewing electric arches. That's the tweet. That's the tweet. That's it. That's all I have to say. Um, because Eve's I'm waiting best. for my library hold on that one because um, I'm trying to be better about using my library resources instead of just impatiently going and buying everything. I don't my have wallet enough. would be much happier. <laughs> I don't have enough bookshelf space for that. <laughs> well, who said anything about bookshelf space? Like I am the crazy cat lady. I have one cat for the record. I'm not, I, yes, I'm a crazy cat lady. I am the crazy cat lady who just, when you come into my home, I have piles of books. We refer to my home as the stacks. Um, and there's the reason that we do so. Accurate. It is the stacks. And I love that about your house. Yeah. You've seen it. <laughs> <sighs> Amanda, you have not yet said the title of your book and if you oh. don't I'm gonna do it so you oh. better okay I will um so my book is called a mother's hunger and I'll put a link in the show notes Excellent. um where it's amazing I think and you. that's not just because you're my friend <laughs> <laughs> you're my number one fan Anna um yeah oh. it's a book that uh, was born in the pandemic and is really a look at um, motherhood and loneliness and rewilding and femininity and, and all of that. Um, I love it. I love it. I'm proud of myself for doing it, but, um, I'm, I'm excited for the next one whenever it's, that happens. I'm excited for the next one as well. I just wanted to say like, I, I love your book and I am so glad that you are proud of it because it is really, really worthy of being proud of. Mm, thank you um, and I just ended a sentence in a preposition so you know I mean it <laughs> so if um it came out about six months seven months ago um I haven't looked at it since it came out so <laughs> in a lot of ways I just needed to get it out of the door so that I could write move on and write other things um so at some point I'll sit down with it again and see if I still like it but I'm glad that you still do <laughs> Oh, I, I still do. And I will be there to tell you, I still do when you're like this thing and this, I'll be like, shut up. Supportively, of course. Supportively. I was going to say, um, I want like when you were asking me about some of the stories that I've been reading, I wanted to say that some of the stories that are showing up in my writing mm -hmm. in, in terms of retelling, um, I've been playing around with, um, a fleshing out or a retelling of the butcher, the baker and the candlestick maker. And um, I've also been working on a retelling of a poetic retelling of a wrinkle in time. And I've been finding a lot of concepts or tropes or themes, I think recurring, not as much specific stories, which feels like a reversal for us. <laughs> um, but one of the things that you and I were noticing in my work is glass seems to be coming up a lot. Um, specifically, I was working on a retelling of the glass mountain and the girl ended up swallowing the glass and staying silent. So 
that's been fun. Um, yeah. Other, otherwise, I've been um, doing a lot of kind of looking at Goblin Market by Christina Rossetti because I am myself, <clears throat> excuse me, writing a magical market uh, book. It is not poetry. It is uh, my fiction pieces. Uh, it's a novel and stories at the moment, um, but it centers around a town that is the host of a magical market. And so I've been kind of looking and doing a little bit of um, poking around in some magical market stories, one of which is Christina Rossetti's fabulous Goblin Market. So I've been spending a lot of time there and it'll be really interesting to see how that manifests itself in my work in the coming insert time here. Where else can um, listeners find you, Amanda? Where do you hang out these days online? I was going to say, I hang out in my kid's bedroom on the floor. <laughs> That's why I added. Playing online. with Lego. <laughs> um I am on Instagram at Amanda Roth Poetry, and I am on Twitter at Amanda Roth Poet because poetry was too many characters, and I committed to my Instagram handle already. So, how's that for branding? Considering I'm about to drop two entirely different handles because my I have two Instagrams <laughs> is you're much better at branding than I am because <laughs> I didn't realize I'd be branding my poetry and my art, but here we are. Here we are. Here's the world that we live in. Brand yourself, yeah. Anna. What's your brand? My brand is fairy tales, Amanda. <laughs> my no. brand is I'm tired. My brand here's is my I'm art. here's coffee and my cat. No, um, I keep, I don't worry listeners. My darlings, I save photos of my cat for my personal Instagram, so you don't have to worry about cat photos on my poetry Instagram unless you want to, in which case DM me. Um, you can find me on Instagram at the Landmaid's Tale, all one, and on Twitter at dazed underscore starling. And if you get the poetry reference, um, I will send you a treat. Mm -hmm.